motion pictures, films, movies, cinema. It goes by many names, but what it is never changes. The moments, the memories, the feelings, all working together in a symphony of beauty, tragedy, and style, never duplicated, but often replicated. If you are interested, if you have an idea, if you yearn to know more, look no further. Welcome to The Sled. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Sled. I'm Marciano Zapian. I'm Michael Luciano. I'm Titus Woods. And today we're going to be talking about homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ever-evolving yeah. Edgar Wright. We're, we're, we're back to high school. No, we're definitely talking about Edgar Wright um, and Baby Driver. So everybody watched it. Everybody watched it. <laughs> this time around. Marciano watched it. <laughs> Which is a shock in and of itself. We get in the episode right there and people will be like, wow, that was wow. a good episode. I'm impressed. It was, was a great one. Yeah. They deserve a subscribe. You know what? Patreon. He, he did his homework. Yeah. Nah. We'll, we'll, we'll start filling the coffers a little later, guys. Um, <laughs> we'll start begging for your money. <laughs> well, it was your first. It was uh, it was your first time watching it. What'd you think? Oh yeah, you guys watch. You guys are repeat viewers. Oh man, I saw this movie in theaters. This movie was amazing. Um, if if we're gonna be starting it off, um, my uh, upon first viewing, obviously, it was fun, it was phenomenal. I I will say though, I'm gonna I already started off with an argument, and that is that it took a minute. It like it did take a minute to start to kick in. Obviously, we have exposition, but I just there was a there was a scene. Oh yeah, when um, what's what what's Kevin Spacey anyway? Doc. Yeah, when Doc starts to draw on the chalkboard and talk to um, what is his name? Clean? No. Anyway, anyway, um, when when Kevin Spacey is drawing on the chalkboard for the first time, uh, relaying a new plan for a new heist, uh, like almost like a debrief of the first job. He just gives an entire exposition blatantly about baby, mm-hmm. why he has, why he has headphones. And I think that that just, I don't know, man, that just bothered me. Like just flat out. Yeah. So I, I could see like re- revealing why he has it. But the backstory with it, just blatantly. I don't know. That scene I kind of liked just because uh, even with everything that Kevin Spacey is now, he is still regarded as probably one of the best actors around. He is. He's a really good actor. So his delivery on it with how quick and how sharp it was, I think, was what made it 
dur- durable, you know, like it, I could endure that. Just hearing him talk about it, I was like, okay, this is fine. If he had just been just kind of, uh, I don't know, like in American Beauty, how it points, he just, his voice would just lull and dull out. If it had done that, I'd have been like, Jesus, this is taking too long to explain his backstory. But he was just, it was like the whole movie, it was quick. Mm. Well, and I feel like that scene was there too to establish that him and Baby have like a special relationship in a sense, you know? Like they're, they're, like he kind of like has him under his wing and he kind of like looks out for him. And so whenever anybody questions Baby, he's always like, he always defends him like right away, no matter what. Mm. But I do sort of understand that it was a little bit almost like it felt forced. Like they had to put that in there. Otherwise people would be like, why does he wear headphones? Like, what, what's, the, what's the point of that? Like, you know. So I, I do I do get it. I, you know, I do feel kind of mixed on that, I guess, as well. Like how they delivered it, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. And there isn't, again, making, making critique because... That's that's what we got to do. That's I uh, like as much as much as I want to celebrate it. I want to get the critiques out of the way so that way I can I can absolutely celebrate it because it deserves to be celebrated. Um, I will say that like none of the characters were severely nuanced. I mean, uh, John Hamm's character was, but then you have just it, it was very just abrupt like. Um, and then he just kind of becomes like an evil bad guy. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. Just like, the curtain kind of gets like, pulled away. Yeah, like yeah. you have. Well, he he he's nice. He's fatherly. He's brotherly. He starts to oh oh he has a backstory. Maybe he was a father of kids. Maybe Wall Street took a turn, and he this is what I am now. And then you have Darling that's just there to like. It, I think I think Darling was more like a like a. Like a cheaper, like Harley Quinn. Like it was just like I'm just here to throw jabs for you, <laughs> throw throw them in for you. And there's like no nuance. It's just I'm crazy, and I'm also with him. And then you have uh, who? Um, Jamie Fox. Yeah, you have Jamie Fox. It's just 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 death. He's <laughs> just just absolute death, and it's. It's predictable, but not in a way that it's that it's annoying so much as it's, well, this is what's gonna happen. Like, oh, we're having a meeting. That person's gonna die. Oh, this is, that person's going out. There's there's no surprises. Yeah. So I'm not gonna lie. The way Jamie Fox died was pretty badass. Like that scene was like, whoa, what the hell? Like when he backs up into him and just slams him. I was like, whoa, that was crazy. No, no, that was like the last thing I expected. His baby's been so like calm throughout the movie, and all of a sudden he just like murders somebody right then and there. It's like, okay, all right. Stakes have been raised a little bit. I don't know. Well, oh man, I don't think he killed him. He told him to go. Uh, (laughs) At that point, it was just himself. Like, okay, go. uh, Oh, you told me to go, so I I went. Um, well, all in all, he, he he didn't cause it. But I will say though that just you know that I I love the overall theme of how the entire time he's trying not to get his hands dirty, and that is his rede- like his redemption towards the end is just even amidst him getting his hands dirty, he's still a decent person. Um, I 
I love the the, the the carryover of all these different of, of all these different instances at the end. It, it played very well. I, I really liked it. But um, yeah. The, besides critique, I gotta give it up to the camera work and the music, and that the editing, the flawless, just fluid movements of the camera, especially when the actors are dancing. You know, when Baby's getting coffee in that first scene, he's literally dancing down the street. And I love the input of the graffiti where it's got um, the lyrics, the lyrics of the song and everything. It was really fascinating to me. But I think I do think that he has gotten better with time, Edgar Wright, because most of his first films are just... um, they're very cut and dry in editing. Like they're edited very well, but it's kind of what you expect. It's nothing special. And then he came out with Scott Pilgrim, where the movie moves together so seamlessly that it doesn't. It almost feels like it wasn't edited. And then you have Baby Driver, where most of the shots are practical. Like at the end, when he drifts into the parking space to go see Kevin Spacey, he yeah. learned how to do that. They taught him how to drive like that without any barriers or anything and they just set the camera up there so I think the camera work and the editing and the music just really is what made the film so great I think yeah I mean the driving scenes are just they're beautiful like they're just perfection like the way that they all the way it lines up and especially that scene where he's like drifting through the alleyway in between the trucks and everything like that part is just so like, yeah, it just gets it just gets you hyped up, it gets your blood pumping, which is I don't know, it's really nice. And I think that with time, all directors like, well, the the person I'm thinking of like the most right now is like Guy Ritchie. Um, mm. You start out simplistic, obviously, and then people get give you more belief and you throw more budget at it, and it's so interesting to watch that progression. Like you, you have uh, a cast of characters that stuck with Edgar Wright the um, from from the beginning. Uh, obviously, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you have like devoted people. They probably pitched in as much as they could as well. Martin Freeman and Bill Nye. Yeah. Yeah. They they all kind of stuck around. Um, and e- like you're like you were saying, the editing and the. Just, just the edits, um, and just ha- how they went about it. Um, it started to progress. Like I could definitely see, like the practical effects of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, um, to Scott Pilgrim, obviously, which was a little bit more big budget, mm. but still, it's like I, I want to push the envelope, but I'm still limited. So how can I do this uh, computer generated? How can I do this in post? And then you see, like, Baby Driver, where they gave him free range with budget. You can tell. Yeah. Like, oh my god. That, that uh, standoff between uh, Buddy and Baby was phenomenal, dude. That's, that's I, I don't think I've ever... Well, it's been a while since I stood up for a movie and just started, like, dancing. Like, oh man, oh man. <laughs> it's getting heated. You know, especially that, that diner scene when, when he's in the diner and he's, like, sitting there. Like, that scene just had so much tension in it. It was like, it was like, oh, like, oh, man. Like, I don't know, it's just you. Yeah, John, uh, John, uh, yeah, John Hamm was, like, 
is definitely one of the best parts of the movie, in my opinion. I think that he he really, really uh, stole some scenes, like, completely. Like, your eyes are just on him the whole entire time, which is kind of detracts from, uh, I guess, Ansel Elgort a little bit. Because while I did like Ansel Elgort, he wasn't, like, on the level of Ham in that movie. He was just kind of like, he was, you know, good, but he wasn't, like, whoa, you know, Ham was, like, really, in some scenes he just stole completely. I think what I liked a lot about Ansel Elgort, though, in the movie is they make a point of how quiet he is, but he's always the sure. most animated a person around. He's got the music, he's always dancing, he's the driver, so he's sharp and he's quick. But when I, upon watching it again, I was just kind of like, wow, he really doesn't say a lot throughout the entire yeah. movie. He doesn't say very much until probably the last 30 minutes of the film. Mm, that's true. So. Which is impressive on its own. I mean, I'm sure that's not easy as an actor having to just yeah. rely completely on you know facial expressions. Facial expressions, uh, your environment. Um, I think that's a true testament to his acting. Is he still captivating without having to say anything? Oh yeah. So, and that also goes with just storytelling with any nonverbal character or just in any nonverbal way. It has to be animated. If not with um with character but just with shots that that every edgar wright movie is shot heavy i i love his his montage style he's mastered it in such a way that it's uh it means there's multiple platitudes to uh every every time he uses it um and it was really used it, it was like i waited for it though and when he finally used it in situations, I, I was stoked. I was like, yes! There we go. There's Edgar Wright. Yeah, dude. I was, I was loving it. What was your guys' uh, favorite scene in the movie overall? Like, if you had to pick one, because it's loaded with amazing scenes, fantastic sequences. Uh, what's your top scene in the movie? Hmm. That's, that's, that's a tough one. I guess for me, it would probably... The scene that sticks out the most in my mind is, funnily enough, kind of some of the scenes where the movie slows down a little bit. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I guess for me it would have to be uh, harking back to what I mentioned before, that, that scene with John Hamm when he's in the diner. And he's like, that, I don't know, just the, the tension in that scene was, was really good. And, again, I really believed Hamm's performance and... Um, yeah, I really, I really liked that that scene for me personally. I, I don't know. There's and the music too that was used in that scene. I can't remember which song it is, but whatever song that is used in that scene is really well used and fits the scene really well. Um, I would say honestly, probably the. Uh, again, I'm stuck on it. Obviously, probably because it's towards the end. So that's the thing that lingers in my mind the most. But it was just very well shot, very well lit, um, very well paced. And then we have obviously the like. There's always got to be some measure of like, like ultra violence in in an Edgar Wright movie. Like obviously with the Jamie Fox uh, puncturing. <laughs> um, there, there's that, and then you have obviously the face off and and takedown of. Kevin Spacey, which was, which was fun. <laughs> like, because it, it was like, uh, I remember what, I was watching it with my brother, and um, 
he he was like he's like yeah this is going down how I think it's gonna go down yeah and then he gets and then he gets hit and I'm like oh it didn't go it didn't go that bad and sure enough I'm like no wait no it did yeah 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 there it is um, so I, I really love the pacing of the scene I love the montage um, I don't know dude there was a lot of really good shots rich shots and then you also see a lot of um, like a lot of really good performances from both Ansel Angor and uh, John Hamm and the redeemable factor of uh, Kevin Spacey. So that whole scene is just, is, is really fun. So I, I, I really like that one. Man, I gotta go with tequila. That was the best scene in the whole movie where they go to pick up the guns and how just the use of music in that, how they synced up the them shooting with them reloading and chambering around in the gun and just all this going through just the chaos of the scene. That was really impressive. It was seamless. It was perfect. Yeah. But I think it was... Um, it also kind of showed that Jamie Fox Fox's character wasn't just some gun nut where he's observant. Like, he was like, that guy, he uh, he popped me back in 98. He sent me to the, He sent me to prison. He was a cop. But just the whole... The dialogue they used in that scene, especially when they're talking about um, the guns as though they're pieces of pork. That lead up, and the yeah. derogatory, the, the derogatory um, <laughs> name that people give cops is pigs, right? They call them pigs. So I think that they were when they're talking about the smoked ham and they're referring to um, it wasn't the grenades. The grenades were sausages, but I think they were referring to AK forty sevens. They said, "Well, I gotta go." And Jamie Foxx says, "Well, I gotta go with those because I love smoking pigs." And he just erupts <laughs> in gunfire. Yeah. And it was like, "Holy shit!" That was that was pretty intense. And then I think the the what tied it all in was them coming back to the loft to Kevin Spacey, and he's like he's like I didn't get my code word. He's like they're pigs. He's like I know they were my pigs. Like <laughs> I was aware. <laughs> and he tries to call the job off, and then that's kind of where Baby steps up, and he's like, No, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. And then he tries to leave, and then it all just falls apart. So. That was that scene is pivotal, as much as it is just amazing. Yeah. So. Well, I can only imagine how long that took for them to get that scene just right too. I mean, because you got to think about how they ju- they got to line up all those shots and the music mm-hmm. just right so they all just you know hit that beat. Dominoes. And that's the yeah. same way with a bunch of scenes. You know that uh, that whenever they use music and I feel like in a scene it's it's very purposeful, which I really appreciate because I feel like sometimes in movies. They just kind of throw the music in there, and they're like, yeah, you know, it's a sad scene, throwing a sad song. But for Edgar Wright, I feel like he puts in a lot more thought. He's like, mm-hmm. how, how, is, how is this going to work into the scene? How is it going to be incorporated? Yeah. Which I, I think is smart. And then it's, it's always beat-based, too. Um, yeah. Like, if you look at his, his technique of montage sequencing... It's it's soup. It has to be on point. It has to. Everything has to line up, and that lead up to that montage, obviously has to line up. But the montage itself is just quick beat, 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 and it. Because we see it, we see it a lot in amateur movies, or just like, oh, I'm gonna throw one under the bus. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. Uh, taken. Like just something like that, where where it's just uh, beat, 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 or or uh, some of the new or. I would say the third Mission Impossible. 
it was just beep, 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 beep. Like, there were quick cuts for the sake of quick cuts. Quick cuts and then camera zooms. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it was just, like, I get that you, it has to be disorienting or it has to be, adre- like, tunnel vision, adrenaline brush, uh, aesthetic, but it's not just that for Edgar Wright. It's their specific beats leading up to a, or leading up to an end and it's almost like it's it's a musical composition in and of itself it's it's really cool to watch that um like the like the cres- or the decur or is it the crescendo or decrescendo of the uh tequila scene them throwing the grenade right in the cup holder tequila <laughs> Yeah, dude. No, I it lined up well, and it always lines up well. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a sequence like that that quick beat sequence uh, fail under uh, Edgar Wright's duress. So I don't know, man. He's he's the champion of that. Um, hard to hard to emulate that yeah. unless you're willing to do the legwork prior. So. Uh, film tip? Uh, <laughs> if I was going to throw Edgar Wright a film that I would love to see his take on, I want to see him direct a John Wick film because I feel like that's right up his alley with the action style and the camera work and the cuts. Like He he can make one of those and he'd probably make the best one. Well, I know he's so. supposed to direct Ant-Man and that was a big... That was a big mess up on their part for kicking him out and not having yeah. him direct it. I think Ant-Man would have been ten times better with him yeah. on the helm, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, honestly, I'd like to see him... I'm, th- I'm thinking John Wick, but accidental. <laughs> like an accidental John Wick. They're like, uh, somebody stumbled... What what I haven't seen the movie, so I guess I can't uh, say anything about it or, or or presume anything. But I feel like just even in the title, uh, "Guns Akimbo," oh, Daniel God, Radcliffe. Yeah. If Edgar Wright did something like that, it would be a John Wick, but Edgar Wright. Yeah. <laughs> like it would be in that universe. So I, I, I would pay to see that. I'm excited to see what he does with Baby Driver too. I'm interested to see where he can go with the story. Yeah. He's making a second one, but I oh, shit, that's right. I was kind of surprised because I was like, "Wow, he really he tied up the ending in a nice little right. bow at the end. It was it was pretty good ending." So I think yeah. I think I'm gonna chalk that up to Hollywood going, "This was successful, so let's make another." You know, because you know standalone yeah. films seldom do well. Like some advice someone gave me once was, "Hey, if you want to be successful in Hollywood, um, make a horror film." That's simple, easy to shoot, and cheap, and you can make millions of. Yeah. Because, like, they churn those out year after year. And I don't know who watches them, but there's always more. Yeah, the paranormal activity? Yeah. Halloween? Uh, (laughs) 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 Yeah. And the first one's good, but uh, the the follow-ups leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, well. How about, but... Uh, do you think Baby Driver is Edgar Wright's best film, or how do you think it stacks up to his others? No, I do really think Scott Pilgrim is his best film, just with how, like, certain people had heard about it because it was a comic book, and people, you know, but it was a very small demographic, at least where I grew up, 
that knew who Scott Pilgrim was. And then one of my friends, I was hanging out at his house, and he was like, have you ever seen this movie? I was like, no. He's like, okay. So his brother went and rented it and was like, you're going to watch this. And it just kind of starts off kind of, you know, plain, and it's just like, uh, all right, this is kind of interesting. It feels very sitcom-ish. And then he, it just completely turns on its head when he goes into like dream sequences and he's stalking Ramona and there's just a whole new set of rules to the world. They're like, oh, this happens in Canada and everybody's aware of this strange phenomenon. It's just a strange film. But I immediately fell in love with it. I was like, this is... This style was fantastic. It's the best adapted comic book film I've ever seen. And I, I still watch it to this day. Like I introduced, uh, I introduced our friend Roman to it. And he was like, holy shit, this movie's just fun to watch. I'm like, yeah, it's an enjoyable film. So I think that that's his best work, if I'm being honest. That's just my opinion, though. Um, as much as I love the Cornetto trilogy... Um, I, I, as much as I'm critiquing Baby Driver, this honestly, like, has piqued my interest in Edgar Wright, because I will give it to you, and I will give it to him, uh, him for, first and foremost, he, he made it, yeah. um, I, I will say that, uh, Scott Pilgrim was, I think, the best comic uh, tra- or, tra- or uh, translation into film. I honestly think that the way I, I agree with you. A lot of the dream sequences and stuff. It's like you're you're fully immersed in a different world. Yeah. Um, and just like a lot of the circumstances that lead up to introductions of new characters, and just breaks within reality. Um, but the way that he does it, I don't think anybody else could have done it that way. Um, it like it if done wrong, it would have been campy. But I don't un, I don't understand how he was able to do it so well that I was like, I know this is campy, but it's really it's good campy. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah, I don't know, dude. The the villains are really their introductions are like I shouldn't be laughing or I shouldn't be. Taking this seriously, but I am. Are you a pirate? Pirates are in this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just the it's just the right kind of over the top, you know. I think there's a time and place for it, and mm. if you can do it right, I mean, more power to you. I definitely think it's something that's hard to pull off, but when it's but when it's pulled off right, you know, being over the top can be pretty. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It can definitely. Uh, it affects I don't know, how people it's tough though it. for me though I mean I really like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz so it's almost like a three way tie for me between like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and then Scott Pilgrim um, even though they are different movies but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I don't know it's just tough tough you say yeah um, I will say that Again, if this is what Edward Wright could do with a budget underneath him, dude. Yeah. I want to see what comes out next. I will say, Baby Driver 2, though, like, God, I really hope... That's that's the thing with Hollywood. I, I love it to death, but... Dude, don't... Okay, oh, wow. They ride the money train. Yeah, 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 yeah. Off. I, yeah. 
I, I, I seldom am vulgar on this podcast, so I'm going to use it. Don't fuck with an original. Please, just leave it as is. Just, like, I, I loved Scream. Well, the first uh, scream is amazing. The first yeah. scream is great. Yeah. Then just mm. kill sequel it. After sequel after <laughs> kill sequel. Kill it. Yeah. Sequelitis. Um, I think. Uh, well, if you, I think that uh, it's interesting to see Edgar Wright go from really like comedic films to something like Baby Driver, which has its funny moments, but I don't think I'd list it as a comedy because it's definitely got very dark undertones to it, and it's got some pretty convoluted shit that happens in it. Like, Kevin Spacey basically manipulates this kid as he's growing up, and then, you know, I love the line of, uh, one more job and I'm done. No, one more job and we're square. Indicating, yeah. like, no, yeah. after this next job, you don't owe me any more money, but that doesn't mean we're not working together anymore. Like, you're still part of this. You're part yeah. of this life, whether you want to be or not. This is it for you. Um, but I think that when, you know, comedic directors are given a chance to make serious films, you get works of art. Like, um, more recently with Todd Phillips, he did the Hangover trilogy, right? And then he made Joker, which is not funny at all, despite the fact that it's about the Joker. That movie was not at all funny. But it is a work of art, and I feel the same way about Edgar Wright and Baby Driver. Like, most of his other films that I've seen are comedies. And then you come up with this, which at first glance is, uh, could have been another Fast and Furious movie. And instead he made it something different. He made it more about this kid who's in a life he doesn't want to be in. But he also kind of tied in the um, classic themes, like... There's a girl he meets, and the girl makes him want to stop living this life of crime. And he's got uh, someone endearing to him who has some sort of disability. Right? That's a very old, very common theme in a lot of films. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is, uh, this is what Fast and Furious wishes it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he, t- he took a really tame, like, it's hardly tame, but... He took a really tame approach with with the overall, I wouldn't say plot, but just with, with the overall world. It's it's a gritty, brutal world. It's a real world. Um, <clears throat> it's still, like, fun to watch. The, obviously, like, the, like the whimsy that baby, or that baby has when he's maneuvering the world, especially with his soundtrack... Just bomb, by the way. I, I loved it. There wasn't a single song that I wasn't like stoked to hear. Um, <laughs> I want to. I want to find that soundtrack. Um, I will say that, like the closest thing that I've seen to drama from him, strangely, is uh, hot, like Hot Fuzz. You go from comedy to he's genuinely trying to develop a narrative. And then he just batters you over the head with this with this plot with this conspiracy. Right. It's it's just very like uh, stretched out and inflated. Whereas here it's it it has its moments of, of inflation and and of like a stray away from the world. But it's like like a momentary lapse of mm. of reality. And it's always like it was really crisp. Like those uh, black and white moments. I like as much as I wanted to knock it like. Okay, this breaks it a little too much. It worked. It yeah. worked. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. 
but I get what you're saying. Like, this was the first time um, that we've seen his attempt at drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, all right, that, I, I can't wait to see what comes next. Um, I was looking into it. There's a, I don't know, have you heard anything about him, anybody? Other than Baby yeah. Driver 2, no. Like, yeah. There's a new one coming out, Last Night in Soho. Oh. Oh, I did kind of hear about that, but no, I didn't, I didn't really check into it too much. I hate to feed into the whole quarantine nonsense anymore. Um, <laughs> not nonsense, but sadness. Um, oh. uh, I will say that a lot of, like, a lot got put, like, a lot of productions got put on hold, and yeah. this right. one did for sure, um. Wow, like it just like we just saw a glimpse. We we just hear glimpses of it or just talk of it, and that there's production, and then sure enough, it go, it gets shut down. Yeah, same thing happened with um, the fourth Matrix and the fourth John Wick. They were both filming. Uh, one of them was in New York, the other one was in San Francisco, and they got completely shut down. And those are populated, people-heavy films. They were like, yeah, we can't have all these people on set, and it got shut down, which was unfortunate. But I feel like it's, if we're going to talk about, you know, yeah, I think um, independent filmmakers should step up a little bit, just because now's the time to make cheap, single-setting films, because it's easy. You're stuck at home anyway. So, And even if you're doing, like, other like obviously other locations um i think a lot of a lot of the real work comes in isolating your characters while also while also maintaining like a semblance of proximity within the film like they don't necessarily like again it we're always witnessing visual language evolve and change and start to integrate new syntax and that's I, I think that's overall just film just being an, a film enthusiast or somebody who really like looks into films I mean there's watching films and then there's studying films and then there's experiencing film yeah uh, yeah yeah um, when you start to develop or develop a sense for syntax mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to see how this is going to take on new form. Like we're going to like the language has to change as a result. It's yeah. pre- it's it's pretty trip. Like uh what is it? Back to, uh reverse shots going from one subject to the next. Um shot reverse shot. <laughs> or you just kind of like one shot boom boom. Just like back. well like interviews. Um just one uh one perspective versus the other perspective, you can shoot it to where uh, the person looks proximal in the camera, or, or, or I'm sorry, proximal to the next subject, or, or to the subject most in frame. But that's, again, you can manipulate that with uh, focal, with uh, depth of field and focal lengths. Mm-hmm. Certain things like that really weed out the wheat from the chaff, because like, you, you have, the name of the game is creativity. You're gonna to have to get more creative. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, yeah. big old ramble. Well, when you're when you were talking about proximity and things like that in film, 
it reminds me of Shaun of the Dead, how basically the whole film centers around the pub. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's the that's the focus point of the film. You know, there are other locations, like Sean's job and his apartment and Liz's apartment. Um, yeah. But ultimately, the whole... The center of the movie is the pub. That's the whole point. They're right. trying to get back to the pub. Yeah. And then once they're there... Um, you know, it's it's like nothing changed. They're isolated from the world. The power's on. They're having a pint. And then they look out the window and there's just zombies all <laughs> over the place. Mm-hmm. Kind of bringing, bringing back to them like, oh, yeah, that's that's happening right now. So, Yeah, no, definitely. That, that does bring the movie around full mm-hmm. circle. Part of that kind of uh, discussion, though, kind of reminds me of about, like, independent filmmakers was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the what Martin Scorsese said recently about the Marvel films and how he hates them. And like, uh, how it's not no, he was misquoted, them. actually. He said, he said, I don't hate Marvel. I actually right. enjoyed a lot of their films, but they're roller coaster rides. He said, there's nothing wrong with them yeah. being roller coaster rides. I don't know why everybody got mad at me for saying that, but that's what they are. It's They're right. theme parks, which is fine. Everybody enjoys theme parks. Mm. But right. it's not... Um, it's well I, well, I think what he was trying to, he, I, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up too. Is, yeah, yeah, that's not what he meant. Yeah. And that what he was really more trying to talk about was that, you know, yeah, like you said, there's nothing wrong with theme park rides or anything like that. Right. But what it does is it sets up Hollywood to just constantly want to make up the same theme park rides. Because if it works once, it's probably going to work again, you know. Yeah. It's the same. And so I think Martin Scorsese was kind of, uh, worried, more like worried about it, you know. Like like you were saying, I don't think he hates those movies. I think he's just more worried about the the uh, like the health of independent film and the fact that it, it definitely damages it by making it set up to where the only way that you can get in is if you just make the exact same movies that everybody else is making. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, um, but yeah, I just feel like that was sort of connected to the whole entire idea of getting creative you know, during this time. Oh, you had, someone had brought up to me the theme of Baby Driver, and they were like, is it considered a crime noir, like a modern age of noir films? And I think that's an interesting point. I, I really thought of the film as more of a dark drama, you know, not really a thriller, but definitely a darker drama. Um, but I... The reason I say, or I posit neo-noir, is obviously you have uh, Ridley Scott's introduction of, um, Blade like, Runner and, yeah, Blade yeah. Runner and then Blade Runner uh, 2049, um, but I also would, su- I, I also would suggest that, or, or I would state that any Nicholas Winding Refn movie as mostly noir mm-hmm. it's it's harsh gritty um there's a morally there's always morally ambiguous characters but they're also very i don't know how to say it root for them without pause really well you just admire them because mm-hmm. they they are what they are and they are fully uh drive mm-hmm uh the the main characters uh the stuntman he that's all he does 
he just drives and then he got involved in something and it's just finishing a job. Driving is getting from point A to point B. And that's all he's about is getting from point A to point B, but he got sidetracked. In one of his uh, additions to TV I got involved in, it was Too Old to Die Young. You have Miles Teller, who's a partner of a an obviously dirty cop. So you could presume that he is. And it doesn't even take to episode, uh, episode two for him to fully just, just get rid of everything. Like, uh, spoiler alert, his, his partner gets shot just point blank in front of him. And obviously he has to play the cop game because he's on his phone and he's texting. And his partner gets a, a phone call. He walks walks down the street far enough that if that after he gets shot just some guy walks up shoots him in the head and just starts running away um he's so far he's far enough and distracted enough that he tries running after him and trying to pop off a shot but he realizes i'm not gonna hit anything um and then he plays the police officer again for like a moment and he is hit up by the person that the that the part his partner called and she's uh she's like don't you care about your partner and he just flat out uh like fuck frank just just stone face placid it's just very blunt straightforward characters in in neo noir like just matter of fact characters yeah, yeah. So that's that's why I posited that it was neo noir because it's it's just you because have the characters are who they are really except for kind of uh, Ansel Elgort's character who's ever changing but the rest of them are are just um, they're flat basically they're flat characters they're just who they are yeah they're who they're supposed to be so is it a neo noir though. Cause, and on top of that, and also the reason I bring up uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is contrasting colors. Like, he uses a lot of heavy, neon uh, colors, very casty, hard light. And we saw that a lot with uh, Baby Driver in the night scenes and just with showdowns. There was a, a lot of casty light. But then it breaks the form and narrative when you go into, like, daylight where it's it's a... What, what what like genre does that fit in? Like Bullet, French Connection, the Italian job. It's like a chase movie, isn't it? It's a heist film. Heist, yeah, yeah, it's heist. definitely a heist film. But that's you know that's only part of it because like if you look at the Italian Job or Ocean's Eleven, like uh, real heist films, there is a goal in mind, right? There is something that they're going after. It's the safe or it's the casinos. Whereas in Baby Driver, it's more about, like, the scores don't really matter. They knock down, what is it, Th like, th there are three jobs that are done throughout the entire film, I think, roughly. Yeah. yeah. They have the first job they do with Baron Thorne, and then he comes back and he does a job with Jamie Foxx, and then the third job is the post office. But in... Each one, the target changes. The way they execute the plan changes. The only thing that stays the same is Baby. He drives. Which is kind of interesting, considering that all the characters stay the same, except for Baby. It's interesting that his role is always the same. He's always the driver. You know. Yeah. It's not a surprise. It's the whole title of the movie, but it's interesting. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm still at a loss as it, it, well, it could, it could just be a, like a mixture, a hybrid, mm. I mean, a hybrid strain, um, definitely could be that, um, but yeah, I, I guess I get, I get focused on, well, lo- it's, it's funny that you bring up noir because hot fuzz is kind of a comic noir, it's a funny noir, like it's got the weird convoluted plot in the middle where the townspeople are part of a cult and you're like holy shit and then you're like wait your only goal is to win an award for having the best garden year after year like what that's that's crazier than the manson cult man like what so that hot fuzz kind of has noir aspects to it it's not a noir film but Mm. i was definitely playing paying homage to it yeah in some in some scenes and uh, definitely yeah some some parts of the movie are definitely and it's paying homage to like the classic you know like I don't know like some classic cop movies and stuff with like the montage and mm-hmm. you know of course he pokes fun at that by kind of having the whole entire montage just be him doing like paperwork yeah which is what cops, <laughs> is what cops usually do it's just like a bunch of paperwork which is like boring and like nothing really happens but which I like, you know, it kind of plays on what you'd expect. You'd expect him to be, like, doing a montage of arresting people, but instead he's just filling out paperwork. But, yeah. No, it's definitely paying homage to that genre. I definitely agree. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that, uh... I remember watching that movie with a friend of mine who didn't watch films, and I'd... I would drag him along to movies, and I'd, like... We'd watch movie after movie whenever we'd hang out at night, and I'd just be like, he'd be like, enough already. And I showed him Hot Fuzz, and the moment where Nick Frost and Simon bring Simon Pegg over to his house, and he says, uh, uh, Die Hard, I think. Or no, Point Break or Point Bad Break. Boys 2. And he's like, which one do you think I would prefer? And he says, no, which one do you want to watch first? My friend just looked over at me, flipped me off, and went back to watching the movie. I was like, well... I mean, and of course, Point Break. Like, no, no surprise there. That's the one you always yeah. watch first. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. That scene's amazing. <laughs> I like. I also like the fact that in Edgar Wright's writing, um, he had written a romantic interest for Simon Pegg in that movie, and then they didn't have enough budget or time, so they cut the character, but they kept some of the dialogue, which is why it feels like romantic tension between Nick Frost and Simon Pegg at times, <laughs> is they just handed the dialogue off to his character, and they were like, okay, let's see what he goes. You know, like, I got you a present, and he won a monkey for him at the fair and stuff like that that was supposed to be for uh, his love interest, and they are like, oh, we don't have time to do this, so let's cut some of it, but... What are you talking about? Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves were definitely into each other <laughs> in Point Break. You can tell. There there was some uh, nuanced, latent homosexual <laughs> tendencies underneath all little, that. And his, a little bit of tension going on. His though. name was Johnny Utah. That's a very... <laughs> wow. You're, you're not straight. Um, Booty! <laughs> Booty! No, um... <laughs> I, I will say, though, that's, that's a common theme with... with uh, cop movies is is there's there's a respect for one another that that crosses like uh, not just a family threshold but almost like I love you man yeah like like that next level so 
That's cool. I mean, that he played into that. That that, that worked out. It, yeah, it was. Yeah. I just found it funny because I remember I remember watching the movie like this is. I'm like they're gay. They're not. They're friends. What the hell are they trying to say? And then watching, learning later. Yeah, learning later that they were like, well, we turned it into kind of a bromance. But like it was, it was really a romance there. But we had we had an idea for a female character. We just didn't have the time or the money. But we liked the lines, so you know. This is what we ended up with. And it was like, well, I mean, they have a little bit of a bromance in Shaun of the Dead, too. I mean, they're kind of like, yeah. like buddy pals. It's just that in that movie, uh, Simon Pegg's character has uh, the love interest in that one. Mm-hmm. Even though they're, of course, that's his ex. But I do like so. how in the third installment of the Cornetto trilogy, though, um, Simon Pegg throughout had pretty much played the straight man, the guy who has a job and he's trying to make something of himself and Nick Frost played the screw up and they completely flipped those roles in At World's End because Simon Pegg is a complete screw up in that movie he's like a wannabe rock star who's still driving the same car from high school and he went through a bunch of drugs and shit and was just bad and Nick Frost is like some corporate banker or something like that and just wealthy and really affluent I just thought that that was kind of funny I was like that's an interesting way to end the trilogy with Simon Pegg being the guy when can I be the uh, (laughs) when can I be the banker no (laughs) no um, you know that's 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 I think that's the beauty of of working with the same people I mean I, I love Tarantino for bringing the same people on um, Scorsese for always working with De Niro. Well, I mean, you know, let's see. They did Casino, and then after that, you were like, wow, Leonardo DiCaprio was in a lot of Martin Scorsese films, and De Niro was nowhere to be seen. Yeah, he's like, hmm? yeah, he's like, eh, we're going to roll with the new guy here. <laughs> they blamed it on Don Rickles. It was really funny. They did a tribute to Don Rickles, and they said, uh, before Casino, Bob and I had done 12 films together or something like that. And he was like, after Casino, we haven't worked together in 20 years. <laughs> <Aww>. Thanks, Don. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, um, yeah, dude. Uh, it's just, it's really cool to see that. Mm. Um, who else? Who else do I, who, who else am I thinking? That works with the same people or... Yeah, you know who does? David Lynch. David Lynch. Christopher um, Nolan. Christopher Nolan, obviously. Um, that's it. It's so cool. It's so cool to like. I don't know to watch the evolution of characters, but it's like you know, it's it's a director physically picking tools out of his uh, out of his toolkit. Mm-hmm. It's like it's all implements. It's it's really cool to see. Um, the one I'm most proud of, though, is is Christoph uh, Christoph Volz, yeah. like <laughs> like uh, going from freaking Landa to uh, Schultz, <laughs> one of the most evil men in the world to probably one of the most admirable most admirable men in the world. That's range for you. Yeah. So, okay. well, it's that time of the episode. Titus, you picked last. We watched Baby Driver, which was an excellent film. If you haven't watched it yet, go pick it up. Go rent it. It's available everywhere for streaming. I just think you have to pay for it. So, But it's your turn, Marciano. So what film 
do you have in store for us? Because I'm genuinely <laughs> afraid. <laughs> you should be. You should be. Um, it's a healthy fear. Yeah. Don't want to do... I honestly want to take it... Well, maybe this will be like a reoccurring theme that you guys are going to recommend uh, English movies and I'm just going to be like, oh, throw in a foreign film. Throw in a ah, Throw for a loop. Um... I was going to go with Noe, but that's a little harsh. I was going to go for Trier. That's definitely really harsh. Um, I was going to go for Fellini, but that's a little too fun. I will say. Um, the suspense is killing me, Marcy. It's just killing me. I was originally going to go with Stalker, but now that we're talking about this, and I just, I, my fascination with noir, it, maybe it's not noir, but it is black and white. I think I'm going to roll with it. Okay. What do you got for us? All right. <laughs> Fellas, can I get like a drum roll that isn't on the table that's just a rolling of the tongue? Drum roll. Lahine. Lahine. How do you spell that? L-E-H-A-I-N-E. Lahine. What's it about? It is, you know what, dude? It's a French film, and it's about, or from the, from what I've gathered from the trailer, or the released trailer, um, it's three friends, you have, uh, and there's a gun in between them. You have, obviously, a white guy, Arab, and a black man uh, in France, and... The, the white fellow finds uh, a gun. They don't know what they're going to do with it, but they're going to do something. So, um, well, giving you the synopsis thus far. Uh, here, you ready for it? I'm ready for it. Because it's just, it just as new to you as it is to me. Um, Titus made a good uh, observation that it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's either either by crit, like critic's standpoint yeah, the, everybody's a critic well this was an easy critique to make i guess um wow that's that's unheard of um all right but synopsis based on or or from imbd when a young arab is arrested and beaten unconscious by police a riot erupts in the notoriously violent suburbs outside of paris three of the victims peers vins Said and Hubert wander aimlessly about their home turf in the aftermath of the violence as they come to grips with the, their outrage over the brutal incident. After one of the men finds a police officer's discarded weapon, their night seems poised to take a bleak turn. Couldn't have gone with a stalker film, no. We had to pick the most politically charged film, especially right now. Hey, I'm down with that. I think it's I think it's not so much that it's politically charged so much as it's appropriate. It is definitely appropriate, yeah. So um, Paris has always been one of the first places in the world to usually have pretty big political movements. So, uh, so uh, all right, yeah, uh -huh. all right. Any final thoughts before we sign off, gentlemen? Uh, go ahead. I I'll say mine. 
followed by dead silence. I got. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, no, I. I uh, closing statements. <laughs> closing statements. Well, I'm excited to watch this film, especially with what's going on in the world right now. Um, it's very, very interesting times we live in. Um, I hope everybody stays safe out there, but never, never forget to stand up for what you believe in. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for this next film, though. That's gonna be. This is gonna be an interesting watch. I'm guessing it's gonna be a pretty harsh watch and very very reality based but I'm excited for it so yeah if if you get a chance watch the trailer before I mean if you're gonna follow like to all, everyone listening if, if you're gonna follow up and watch it too we'd love to hear feedback uh, after uh, after the next podcast it's probably gonna be rich um, but <laughs> watch the trailer yeah just just in that I like the, I like the dialogue um, but that is not my formal closing statement I will give it to Titus Oh, damn. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, uh, this movie. Cause I, I mean, I've never seen it before, so I'm always really excited to see something new. Um, thank you for watching, both of y'all, for watching Baby Driver, because, uh, you know, I appreciate it. I um, think that was a good discussion. Um, Edgar Wright was do some love. Uh, yeah, Edgar Wright's a pretty awesome director, so I'm glad we got to talk about him. But I'm looking forward to the next movie right here i think that we're gonna have a good nice nice long good discussion about it i'm excited i'm looking forward to it this is part two of your closing statement yeah is there an intermission that's going to follow stay woke stay 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 safe stay strapped good night everyone good night everyone thank you for joining us on this third installment of the sled